0: okay the reading is from john chapter 18 starting at verse 33 and going on to john 19 verse 6. pilate then went back inside the palace summoned jesus and asked him are you the king of the jews is that your own idea jesus asked or did others talk to you about me am i a jew Pilate Um. replied Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him.
1: Now to answer the the question, what is the kingdom of God? Sometimes, uh, there's a huge amount you could say in answer to that, but sometimes it helps to notice what God's kingdom is not. And in fact, there are a number of places in the Bible where we're told the kingdom of God is not this or it's not that, but it's something else different instead. So there in in John's gospel, John 18, Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor, a man of great power in terms of the world's kingdoms of that day. And Pilate asked Jesus if he is a king. And Jesus says, Yes, he is. But then Jesus says, But my kingdom is not of this world, however. Now, what Jesus meant by that was his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom than Pilate would have been thinking of. Different than all the other kingdoms of the world that the world has known and still knows today. Jesus says his kingdom is from a different place. It's of a different kind altogether and operates, therefore, in a completely different way than all the other kingdoms that we're used to seeing around us in the world. Now, he immediately gives us one example of of how that is so as he speaks to Pilate there in, John, uh, in John's Gospel. He says, my kingdom is not of this world if it was... My my disciples would fight to prevent my arrest, but my kingdom is uh, from another place or of another kind. So Jesus says there, there's an example of how, what the kingdom of God is and is not. Uh, When faced with pressure from other powers, Jesus's kingdom doesn't win by force or violence or hitting back or being more heavily armed than the other's. No, God's kingdom is operating on a completely different plane. And it's being God's kingdom is being one, if we would if you could say that, here in John 18. How? Well, by Jesus going to a cross to die for our sins. It's just, you know, the, the contrast between the way we and the world often think and, and what Jesus was doing there as we read just now, it's it just God is operating on a completely different level. His kingdom is being won by his son going to the cross to die for our sins so that people all over the world can know God's forgiveness and new life in him, our king. So God's way of reigning, of ruling, is not like how we often think of power. And and it's worth saying, if if we turn christianity into something that looks a lot like the other kingdoms of the world something has gone wrong because jesus says his kingdom is unique it is different in how it operates and at the center of it is him jesus going to the cross for us and i believe that cross redefines for us what power really is in mark chapter 4 jesus gave two parables about this kind of su- the surprising nature of God's kingdom and how God's kingdom grows. He says it's like a farmer who plants seed and then he sleeps and wakes night and day the se- and the seed grows, he says, without, without him really understanding how it does it. Um, in fact, the way Jesus says it was, all by itself, the seed grows. And then he says the kingdom of, of God is like a tiny mustard seed. See, it seems so insignificant, so lacking in potential. This little seed, almost unnoticeable, and yet Jesus says the kingdom's like that because it then grows into one of the largest plants in the garden, branches that the birds come and perch in. Now, in both those parables, Jesus is saying that the king. That he highlights that the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is somewhat surprising to us. It's unexpected in the way that it, it happens and grows. It seems weak to our earthly thinking. It seems unspectacular at times, God's kingdom, but God uses it and works to bring new life to the world like nothing else. So that's the first point. We mustn't think of God's kingdom like the other kingdoms we see around us. It may not, it, we mustn't think, oh, it's about us being the most spectacular or the most wealthy, or the most muscular. The church isn't one, doesn't succeed in those ways. It's about the power of God's grace, of Christ dying and rising for us. That is what saves the world. God saves us through the death and resurrection of Christ. Another thing, secondly, that Jesus says is that the kingdom of God is not somewhere else. Over there, we've got to go there, or over here, or if only we were doing that. He says the kingdom of God is actually always among you or within you. So this is in Luke 17, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they had a lot of religious influence and power, and they thought they, you know, they knew it all about God. And, and they asked Jesus, when's the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come by your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, over there. Because he said, the kingdom of God is actually uh, among you or within you. It can be translated either way. It's among you. It's within you, here, now, he's saying. Jesus' point was, you don't have to go hunting for God's kingdom as if God has hidden it somewhere off far away so that it's hard to find. Some people do talk about God as if that were the case, you know, as if there's some secret code or some cryptic way that we have to understand when or where God is or what He might be doing. And sometimes we're always running after some experience somewhere else, aren't we? Because we feel like maybe God's in that other place and we hope we might find Him there or in that or in somewhere else. But Jesus says, look, the kingdom of God is not over there somewhere else or in that other thing that hasn't happened yet. It's always, God is always among you, even within you. God is here, ready to work wherever you are as you take hold of him by faith. So that means God's kingdom is not limited to one place. It is not limited to one time or other in history. It's not certainly not limited to one church or other. And again, we sometimes almost begin to think like that, you know, look what God's doing over there. We need to be part of that. Or look what God did 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 years ago. We need to go back to that and how it was then, we might say. Or look at that denomination or that church or that ministry. Maybe God's there, not here. Or other times we're always waiting for something, I don't know, Spectacular that we want to happen before we believe God's there. And then you get the really extreme versions, you know, people supposedly discovering cryptic messages in the Bible, usually Revelation somewhere, you know, say, you know, oh, it's predicting dates, you know, it's this year, and predicting, you know, this is gonna happen on that year in this way, and then God will come, and they're always coming out with books, and you're supposed to buy them and learn where it's gonna happen, and then the time come, date comes and goes, and they bring out another book, because they got it wrong. The point is, Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom doesn't come by your having to hunt for it, your careful observation, by trying to figure out where God might be or will be one day. The kingdom, he says, is among you, even within you. It can always happen here and now because the reign of God happens whenever and wherever we follow Christ in faith and allow his spirit to help us grow and share his love in our own place with those around us. I I love the phrase that Jesus used at the beginning of his ministry. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Not the kingdom of God is far away, or it's not here yet, but it will be maybe at some point. He says, it's at hand. I think of that visually. You know, it's like you can touch it. You can grab it. You can take it. Jesus is not running away from us. God is not running away. He sent his son. And Jesus said, the kingdom is here. It's within your reach right now where you are. We take hold of Christ by faith, and the work of God and the reign of God is a reality in our lives in romans 10 the apostle paul quotes from deuteronomy he says this don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven for us that's to bring christ down he says or who will descend into the deep for us that is to bring christ up from the dead but what does it say the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart he says this is the message of faith that we proclaim.'" You declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you're saved. Paul is saying there, it's not complicated. It's not hidden away in some far off place so that someone's got to go on a voyage of discovery for us and try and you know, go up to the heavens or down into the depths. Christ has come and he is right here and his spirit is here. He's done everything to save us. The word is near you believe Christ died and rose again, and behold, Paul says, you're saved. Salvation is here. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul says something else about what God's kingdom is not. And this is in 1 Corinthians 4. The church in Corinth had started um, splitting into factions, you know, and each of them were boasting that they'd got it all right, you know, that they followed the right leader, for example, or they were spiritually superior in their gifts, for example, to what others in those other groups in the church had. and Or oh, they were superior because they knew more knowledge than that other lot over there, they were saying. And they were all dividing up, joining their groups. And Paul writes something like a letter and he says, you're being so foolish. Is Christ divided? Of course he's not. And he says in chapter four, everything that you have was given to you from God why on earth would you be boasting about it against each other? And then he says, it's a little bit of a sort of sarcastic bit, he says, oh, you've got so much, but I've got nothing. And he talks about how actually as apostles, the leaders of the church, they lived in humility. Their way was weakness and struggle, not boasting about how they'd got it all. And he, Paul says that attitude of humble service to one another, that is the Christ-like way. And then he says this, He says, some of you have become arrogant. And he says, I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, to see not just how the arrogant talk, but what power they actually have, what's actually happening in their lives. For, he says, the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but of power. In other words, he's saying it's not just what you're saying and boasting about. Actually, it's what you're doing. It's what your life, the fruit that God is bringing from your life. That's what matters, that's the kingdom of God. So it's no good boasting about our faith or our church or our beliefs, if that's all it is. If it's just words, it needs to be actions, it needs to be God's spirit working through us in real ways, in humble service to him and to one another and to our communities. He said something similar, Paul, when he wrote to the roman church in chapter 14 they were dividing up about whether some food should be eaten or not you know is there is there sacred food clean food and unclean food and some thought there was some thought there wasn't it didn't matter and paul says look the kingdom of god is not ultimately a matter of what you eat or drink this is romans 14 17. it's not about what you're eating and drinking it's righteousness and peace and joy in this holy spirit Anyone who serves Christ in that way is pleasing, not only to God, but to their fellow man. And just finally, just briefly, um, the kingdom of God is not about merit. And really, this is kind of the point of all what I've been saying. It's about grace, not merit. But of all Jesus' parables, I think probably the parable of the workers in the field is one of my favorites. Because it's so shocking. To us, it it forces us to rethink how we see things, and it forces us to rethink because of the grace of God. So it's in Matthew 20, and Jesus this time says, "This is what the kingdom of God is like." The kingdom of God is like a landowner who he says went out early in the morning and hired workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. And then it says about Jesus says about the third hour. Three hours later, he went out again. And there were others waiting, looking for work in the marketplace. So he sent them to work in his vineyard too. And on the sixth hour, six hours in, he went, he went out again and hired more workers for his vineyard. And the ninth hour, he went out and found some more. And they he sent to work. And even at the eleventh hour, so this was almost at the end of the day, one hour before everyone finishes, he goes and finds still others. And he says, what are you doing here? And they said, no one's given us work. And so the landowner sends them to the vineyard, says you work for me. And they work for that final hour before the close of the day. And when evening comes, the landowner gets all the workers together and gives them all their pay from the last ones hired to the first. And all of them receive the same, a denarius for the days for the work. Now the ones who were hired first at the beginning of the day thought this was unfair. And this is how we often would think, wouldn't it? you know, they should get more because they'd worked all day in the blistering heat, whereas these, some of these others, they said they've only worked for an hour. So they complained to the landowner, Jesus says, you've made us, and they said, you've made us equal to them. You've made us equal to them. It says a lot, doesn't it? You know, we've been more important than them, we've done more than them, but you've made us all equal. And the landowner, who of course represents God, He says, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. I said I'd give you a denarius, but I also want to give those hired last the same as I've given you. Or do you begrudge my generosity? In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, we all receive the same generous grace as one another. God does treat us equally. God gives you today, here, sitting here, the same grace as he gave the 12 disciples that we read about in the New Testament, the same grace that he gave the Apostle Paul, the ministers, the famous ministers that you know about, he gives you the same grace, the same Christ, the same spirit. So even if you feel like your faith is is weak compared to so-and-so, or you feel like your life's been so messy and you've had patches where your faith's just been all over the place, if it's even been there at all, or you feel like you've not done as much as you could have done and should have done, remember that parable. The ones who, they only worked at the end of the day and God still gave them the same. God gives you fullness in Christ. He doesn't give you less of Christ than somebody else. He doesn't give you less of the Spirit. He has given you the same Spirit as even the famous Christians through the ages received because God's kingdom is not based on merit. It's not how much you deserve or have earned. It's all the grace of God. And above all, we see that, of course, at the cross. God doesn't just talk grace, he does grace. He proves it. Christ actually died for you. He gave his whole life on that cross to save you from sin and death. And that death of Christ was as fully for you as it was for anyone else. In fact, if you were the only Christian in the world, Jesus would have still died on that cross for you. Just think about that. He still would have died on that cross for you, for just you. And this is why when Jesus rose from the dead, and I, I find this endlessly compelling, Jesus rises from the dead and he goes to the disciples who had fled, they'd abandoned him, some of them denied even knowing him, They doubted him. They left him to face the cross on his own. But he didn't say, well, great lot of friends you were. You know, that's it for you. I don't want any." He didn't say that. He said, peace be with you. He said, it's me. Look, look at my hands and my side. I have given myself my own life freely for you. And then he didn't just stop there. He said, and now I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as well. Because... Never mind what happened when he was arrested. He said, because now I'm going to send you out into the world as my people so that you can share this wonderful news of my grace with others, so that you can tell others, come to the vineyard. I want you to discover a God, a Christ, whose generosity is like you'd never believe until now. And that's what he calls us to do today as well. I don't know about you, but that never grows old for me. It amazes me that God is like this. It makes me thankful. And if his kingdom, if God's kingdom were anything other than that, if it were based on how good we are or how much we've earned, I think it would be horrible. You know, we'd never know where we stand. And we'd be assessing everyone else as to who deserves this and that and who doesn't. But no, Jesus says the kingdom of God is not like that. It is like the landowner who was generous to all, Who gave equally to all, whether you'd been there all day or you'd only just turned up.